Hey, Connect Church, PD here. Listen, I am so excited to be with you this morning. Uh, listen, last week, unbelievable to see your faces face-to-face. I wish so badly I could be with you face-to-face. Here's why I'm not seeing some of you today, either in a live stream or in person, is because I didn't know we were going to open so fast, okay? So anyway, things got a little crazy, and I had planned to be away this weekend, so I will be with you guys next week. Can't wait to be there. But I'm going to go right into our series. Are you guys ready to receive the word today? Say amen at all the locations. Now listen, whether you're online or you're in person in Ashland or Framingham, God's got a word for you. We are in a series entitled Men of God, Inspiring men to lead. And one of the things that we've been talking about for many weeks now is that a lot of the problems that are in our culture today, in society today, can be traced or tracked back to the nucleus of the home, the marriage sometimes, but often the man in the house. And so we've been addressing different characteristics and qualities of what it takes to be a man of God. Today's message, as we get into the word today, is take God seriously. Turn to your neighbor, right or left, or if you're at your house, just say it out loud. Take God seriously. Now listen, men, if you will probably relate to this, if you're a father, uh, you probably will relate to this. Have you ever uh, been in a situation where you needed to communicate something important and you called a meeting? Like in my house, my daddy used to call a family meeting. We're about to have a family meeting. I need all you kids to get in here. I need you to sit around this table. I need you to sit right down. I need you to be quiet. I need you to be still. I got some things I need to tell you, some things I need to say to you. We're going to have a family meeting. It was a big deal in our house growing up. And it felt like, you know, we'd always have the kind of like, we're a little bit scared. You know, we kind of get a little bit nervous, a little bit Mufasa, Mufasa kind of moment. Because like the lion of the house was getting ready to say something. And I've tried to follow suit when I was raising my kids, and so whenever I had something important, I would, I would say, come on in, kids. We're going to have a family meeting. I want you to get at the table. Come into the kitchen. We're gonna, I want you to sit around the table, and I want to share something important with you. But a lot of times, they wouldn't pay attention. They were distracted. They were all over the place. And so this particular time that I'm about to share uh, with you, I tried a different approach, and I wanted to share something important to them, but I needed their, <laughs> I needed their undivided attention. <clears throat> excuse me, undivided attention. And I remember during this time, there was in the season that we were in, I can't remember the year, but there was like a recession. Gas prices had been spiking. Uh, groceries were super expensive. And man, I had four kids. And so they cost a lot of money. I mean, I've done the math from like zero to 18. It's like a million dollars a kid. Okay. And some of you are like, what? <laughs> um, and so it's expensive. And so I realized that I'm going to have to talk to the kids about their stewardship, and they don't know what that even means, but I'm going to have to tell them. We're going to have to make some cutbacks, and we're going to have to kind of tighten up our belts, but I needed to get their attention, and so I said, hey, come around the table. We're going to have a family meeting, and I said, things have been tough, kids, and I'm kind of looking at them at the table. We're kind of all around it, and I'm like, you know, Morgan, you're just going to have to do a better job, honey, like just, um, you know, not wasting your food. Like a lot of times you take two bites, and you don't even finish, you know, 
know, Devin, you're going to have to turn the lights off. You know, you just can't leave every light in the house on. Like, you know, uh, Madison, you know, there's just some, there's some, there's some, you always got the water on. You're having showers that last like an eternity. And we were just going around the horn, each one of them, uh, just dealing with some of the stewardship issues. And I said, but it's, but it's not enough. Daddy can't work anymore. And mom's got, she, she can't work because she's got all you kids to take care of. And she's got a part-time job besides. And, of course, she's worked full-time almost our whole lives. And, and so it, it, we're just going to have to make some cuts. And, and now I've got their attention. I said, you guys listen to me. They're like, yes, sir, yes, sir. And I said, because of that, and I looked at all of them, I'm going to have to let one of you go. <laughs> and they're like, Dad, Dad, come on, Dad. That's not funny. You know, like, that's just not even funny. Like, how, is this meeting serious? Like, what's going on? Like, how much longer before this is going to be over? And basically what I said, listen, kids, I had to do that because it takes something like that for you to take me seriously. Because sometimes there's important things that I need to say to you, but you don't take me seriously. Now, listen, I tell you all of that because I think there are times that God thinks of you and me that we're not taking him very seriously. There are these important things that he wants to share with us, but we're not taking it very seriously. And interestingly enough, when we have some real problems and we need some real help and we want God to take us seriously, it's often that we miss our part in taking him seriously in the first place. So today's message is taking God seriously. The, the, the message from the in, uh, translation in the book of Matthew, chapter 17, I believe it's in your notes. If you're watching it online, it should pop up on the screen or there where you are at whatever location. But in verse 20, it says, because you're not taking God seriously, said Jesus. Because you're not taking me seriously. The simple truth is, if you had a mere kernel of faith, a poppy seed, say you would tell that mountain move and it would move. There is nothing you wouldn't be able to tackle. Now, we often focus in that scripture on the, just the kernel and the, and the mustard seed faith and we think, yeah, that's all it takes. But it's preceded by taking God seriously. And I'm going to unpack that word for you in a little bit. But one of the reasons people, especially men who I'm focusing on in this series, don't take God seriously is because they are out of alignment. Out of alignment. Turn to your neighbor and say, alignment, alignment. Now, if you've ever driven a car, so if any of you have a car, you have a license, you've driven a car, you've probably experienced, well, first of all, you probably witnessed some car that was out of alignment. I don't know about you, but I've always uh, uh, just laughed when I saw a car going down the road, and it's somehow going straight, but the whole car looks like it's going right, or it looks like it's going left, like it was like placed on the axle sideways. But, but out of alignment is more, you're in your car, and there's, there's this constant tension to go away from the direction you're trying to go or the direction we could say you're supposed to go. And as a result, you have to constantly fight to keep it on track or in the right direction. And it needs constant uh, interruptions. Many men Many people are out of alignment, and it's affecting their assignment, their ability to do and fulfill what they're called to do. And so when this happens and things get a little shaky, when this happens and you're getting pulled uh, to the right or to the left, uh, as it says in Ephesians 4.27, and you can't keep your foot from evil, um, it it gets very, very hard. Uh, It's because there's an alignment problem. And if you could get things lined up, then things would begin to work or the outcomes would begin to change. Now, 
this, this problem is fixed when we can see things uh, more clearly from God's word. So here's a really important text I want you to see. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Look what it says. This is uh, the ESV version. It says, but I want you to understand. Paul says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the wife is the husband. And the head of Christ is God. You see this alignment, this this order. There is uh, an alignment. In order for things to work, there must be an alignment. God over Christ, Christ over man, man over his wife. By the way, not man over women. That's a poor and horrible translation. And by the way, this is about headship, not leadership. This headship is referring to covering, not control. Okay, and so Jesus, we see in the scriptures, was in perfect alignment with his father, and he wants every man to be in perfect alignment um, under Christ so that the woman then should and could come under the man in perfect alignment as well. When we lose our alignment, we lose our covering. We lose our protection. And many people are out there, men and women, without protection. They are living life. That's another message all by itself. They are living life without protection. And that is why the word head or headship is used here. Headship is referring to governing, uh, guidance, uh, covering. The best translation would be, and we've talked about it before, responsibility. Responsibility. So, Men, if the woman is following you and you're not following or under God, not only Christ, not only are you not, are you messed up, but she's messed up for following you. It has a domino effect, or as my mother would say, a ripple effect. So here's the big idea. Write this down if you're taking notes. You need to be in alignment if you're going to fulfill your assignment. You need to be in alignment if you're going to fulfill your assignment. But what does alignment look like? Now, over the next couple weeks, I'm going to give you four areas that get us into alignment as men and women and people of God. And this psalm is a great psalm that describes what it looks like. Psalm 128, look at it with me from verse 1 and following. When pastors say 1 and following, it's because they can't remember how long it goes. It's just a little trick of the trade. Anyway, it says this. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks, in his, who walks in his ways, and you shall eat of the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it will be well and shall be well with you. Your wife, he's clearly talking to a man here, will be like a fruitful vine. Remember that. Within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around the tables. So that's verses 1 through 3, and we'll follow up on the other ones a little later. Now, 2 of the four areas that we will address today are, first of all, to be in alignment, he has to be in alignment in his personal life. How do we get alignment for our assignment? We're going to have to get alignment in our personal life. Look what it says in verse 1. The first part, it says, blessed is everyone, or you could say, blessed is the man, because the context of the whole text is he's talking to a man who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. So the key here is, write this down, there is blessing for the man who fears God. There's blessing for the man who fears God. Blessing, experiencing and enjoying and, 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 and engaging God. God's goodness extended, God's favor extended to you. That's what, that's what blessing is. And kind of a secret to God extending his blessing is that whatever you want God to do to you, you want to make a commitment that you'll let it go 
You'll let it go through you. You'll, you'll basically determine how, how he will use it through you. And when he sees that, he's more inclined to extend it to you. When, when, when you are willing for him uh, to, to be a conduit and not a cul-de-sac, then he will give it to you be, and, that, and you extend it back to him or for him, and then he'll expand it uh, for the kingdom of God. And so this is a big deal in order to be blessed, secret to being blessed. So I, I want to be blessed. You want to be blessed. But the key is the fear of God. Blessed is the one who fears God. But what does the fear of God look like? What this, this foundational principle, what does it in fact look like? How do I get it to work in my life? Look in your notes at Isaiah 33 uh, verse 6. I'm reading from the Amplified. So it's going to get loud. <laughs> and it says, he will be a, uh, the security and the stability of your times. God, in the middle of craziness, will bring stability in that craziness. A treasure of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. Look at all these things you get. The fear of the Lord is your treasure. One translation says, the fear of the Lord is your treasure chest. So the fear of God, this is a fill in the blank, uh, opens the treasures of God. See, a lot of the things that you want, or I'd say rather you need, and God knows what you need, are wrapped up or are locked up, as it were, in your practicing and applying and living in the fear of the Lord. It, the fear of God is the master key that opens the door to the treasure chest of God. Uh, I don't know if you ever had a master key before, but it, when you have one of those, we call it at church here, the God key. It opens all the doors. I have a God key. I remember one time I thought I lost my God key. I was freaking out. But this fear of God is the precedes the the key that you need for all of those things. The fear of God is, yes, part of it is that, that like, ah, he's just large and in charge, you know, and that, that dread and that, that terror of who he is because he's just so big and powerful. But the other side of it is the reverence and the awe and the worship of God. And when you combine those two uh, concepts together, you get the biblical uh, definition of the fear of God. But a more modern translation of what the fear of God is, write this down, is just taking God seriously. Taking God seriously. See, a lot of people, and I find this to be true sometimes in my own life, is we see God like a filling station. When my life is running on empty, when I'm not uh, feeling filled with the Spirit, I don't feel full, oh, I better get back to church, or I'm going to start reading my Bible, I'm going to pull it off the shelf. I'm, I go to God like a filling station. I go to God like he's a, a spare tire in my trunk, you know, and, and, and if, if there's a problem, or if there's an emergency, I'll pull that out. But otherwise, I just keep it in the back. I just keep it in the back. And a lot of us live our Christian experience like that. We're not taking God seriously. We have this casual Christianity, and it has creeped in like no other time but during this last year and year and a half. And God is calling us back to live with the fear of God. Can I have an amen out there? But many go to church they reference God, but they do not reverence God. And they have lowered the bar, lowered the standard, lowered the definitions of the things of God. You know, just to put a little levity to this, but when I was, you know, in my 30s, I, 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 hang, I hung my shoes up in my mid-40s playing basketball. But I played competitive basketball until my mid-40s, even with my son. 
And uh, he used to come off the bench. And then when I started coming off the bench after him, I'm like, okay, it's time to retire. But anyway, when I started getting older, I, I, I still had my handles but I lost my hops. Some of you guys know as a baller. I had my handles, but I lost my hops. And so we'd go play dunk ball. And some of you are like, if, that don't know basketball, you're like, wow, Pastor could dunk. No, I couldn't dunk. We played dunk ball by lowering the rim. We would lower the rim and play dunk ball all day long, and we felt good about ourselves, but when we, tr we would never describe it to somebody else without feeling guilty because we knew it wasn't for real, because we had lowered the bar. We had lowered the standard. God doesn't want us to lower the standard to feel better. He wants us to come up to the standard in order to feel right and to feel better. And the world is trying to redefine everything, and with moral relativism and with the uh, the the world says you can move the line and feel okay. And nothing could be further from the truth. Nobody feels okay when they move the line. And so we're changing the line instead of changing our behavior to conform to the line. And God wants us to come back as men of God who fear God and uh, maintain his standards. God doesn't want to bring the standard down to you. He wants to bring you up to the standard. So stop lowering the standard. Stop bringing, you know, things down to the level you're at. Let God raise you to the level that he has for you. Can I have an amen out there? See, often we treat God like there's just this store-wide sale, you know, and we, we it's like a person that's going into a, a pick a department store or Target, and there's a store-wide sale. See, we want all the benefits at the lowest possible prices, and there's some things that there's treasures that God has for you and me, but there is a cost for it. There is a price for it. And so some of us don't receive the treasures or from the treasure chest of God uh, that he has for us because we're not taking the things of God seriously. You know, I was trying to picture this um, and give you a picture of what it means to take God seriously. What that relational dynamic uh, should look like. And I was praying and talking to the Lord while driving. And while I was on the highway, going a little quick, I might add, I haven't been sanctified in that area. God's working on that in me. On the left-hand side, all of a sudden, I look out of my left-hand side, and there is a police officer. <laughs> and as soon as I saw him, my, my behavior and my driving immediately changed. Why? Because I was in proximity uh, to the police officer. I immediately began to put my foot a little bit on the pedal, ready to kind of break at any moment. Uh, I wouldn't even think of passing him or moving ahead of him. I began to kind of wave to him and kind of just honor him for being in my presence right now and, and just being kind to me and not pulling me over. You know, and because I was in the presence of the police officer, my behavior began to change. But as soon as he got about a mile away and kind of broke away, I went back to my old ways. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, son, I'm, I am beside you and I am in you all the time. But you are not behaving with that awareness or with that consciousness. But if you were aware that I was riding right beside you and I was living in you, you could experience the treasures that I have for you. This is so good. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, a very familiar passage, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself a living sacrifice. See, a lot of us, 
We run right by that scripture. We want to get to the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God that it speaks about in, in verse 2. But God wants you to have a total commitment. Not a total commitment where you die physically, but you die to yourself. You live not a uh, self-denial, excuse me, a denial of self, but a, excuse me, a self-denial, but a denial of self. There's difference. When it's self-denial, self is still leading. When it's denial of self, it's Christ. You are under Christ. You are aligned with Christ. Reminds me of the chicken and pig that were going by the department store, and on the window it said, um, we are looking for uh, bacon and eggs. And the chicken said, okay, I'll donate some eggs. And the chicken turned to the pig and says, what are you going to give? And the pig said, hey, that's easy for you because you're just making a contribution. Me, I've got to make a total sacrifice. See, some of you are like that. You want to just make a contribution. But God is looking for a living sacrifice so that he can give you all of his treasures. God wants that for you. Now, how do we know if we're walking in the fear of God? Well, it's because you walk in his ways. Verse 1 says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. This means that you fear God, look it, with your feet. You fear God with your feet, with your steps, with your walk, not just your talk. And a lot of us, uh, we're not demonstrating our fear of God. We're just referencing it. We're not actually living it. And, and so if you are walking in his ways, when everyone is drinking, you're not. When everyone's cussing and fussing, you're not. When everyone's checking into their job and hiding and not working, uh, you're not. When people are getting paid under the table uh, and trying to get away with it, you're not. That's what it means because you have a fear of God and a reverence and awe and consciousness that he is riding with you, that he is also in you. And so people who fear God every day, they get up and say, God, I am your servant. You are my Lord. I'm coming under you. I want to align myself with you in the fear and reverence of God. And God is saying, if you do that, if you show others that I am your head and, and, and you're under me, that I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of all of your needs. Look at this. In verse 2 of Psalm 128, it says, you're going to eat of the fruit of, the, of your hands. You're going to be happy. It's going to go well with you. I was looking at that. I was like, huh, you'll eat of the fruit of your hands. That's your productivity. That's your productivity produces your provision. That's your fortune. You will be happy. Uh, what, are we, what is that all about? Your feelings. Uh, it will go well with you. That's talking about your future. See, when you fear God, here's the treasures. He will take care of your fortunes, your feelings, and he'll take care of your future. See, there's tremendous treasures when we fear God if we're in alignment. Now, the next area of our life, and I'm just going to do this one area and we'll conclude, is his family life. Everybody say family. Now, to fix the foundations, we have to invest in this marriage relationship. Psalm 128 verse 3 says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine. It doesn't say sour grapes. It says a fruitful vine. Notice it also says will be. One translation says shall become. That means basically in the relationship, she might not be a fruitful vine right away. 
<laughs> In fact, more often than not, that is the case. I heard one guy say, hey, when you get married, it's like a three-ring circus. First of all, it's the engagement ring. Then it's the wedding ring, and then it's the suffering. <laughs> and so anyway, many, many men are dissatisfied because they don't see their part to play in the relationship. And, and, and they don't see the role that they have in it. One guy was on an airplane with me, and I looked at him, and I noticed that he had a wedding ring on, but it was on the wrong finger. And so I just said, hey, sir, are you, are you married? He said, he said, yeah. I said, did you know that you have your ring on the opposite finger? He said, no, I did that on purpose. It symbolizes that I married the wrong woman. <laughs> okay, so some guys don't understand the role that they play in redeeming, restoring, and building and strengthening the relationship. But when a man begins to fear God, listen, men, listen. When a man begins to fear God, changes will begin to occur in your wife and in your wife's life. She will become something she was not. You are the thermostat. Um, she's the thermometer. You are setting the temperature for the room. If you, if you want summer in your house, you can't bring winter weather into the situation. And so a lot of times uh, you have to create an environment and that is preceded by your alignment to your assignment that is preceded by your fear of God and how you walk. And as a result, she will flourish. She will produce, basically, it's like, it's like grapes. Have you ever seen grapes? You know, and, and, and a lot of times they're sagging on the ground and so you have to uh, you have to get them to cling to the to the vine and then when they when they cling that's what happens really in our relationship with our spouse we're supposed to leave and cleave we're supposed to cling to one another cleave to one another then she can begin to she can begin to grow and she can begin to develop this is where grapes actually they climb on the vine and then over time, that what happens is your wife in that relationship with you, because you're clinging together, because you're growing together, the grapes cluster and she begins to flourish. God wants that to happen through your relationship uh, with each other. It's grapes become grape juice. Grape juice becomes wine. And there's no wine that doesn't make a sad, mad, sad man glad. God wants to do the same thing in your relationship to your spouse, but you have to create a stable environment based on the fear of God where she becomes more secure and eventually she will begin to flourish. Okay, husbands, Ephesians 5 is kind of the marriage mystery chapter. It's for both husband and wife, but in particular, I want to highlight what it says about husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, remember that, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands, love your wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. So what is this saying? The first part is basically saying you got to lay your life down like Jesus laid his life down for the church. Jesus was our Savior. Listen, men, but you are hers. You are her Savior, okay? And so we need a savior, but she needs a savior too. But you're her savior in the flesh. Now, what is a top characteristic of a savior? Listen, tough. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Christ gave up everything for the bride. We're supposed to lead that way in our homes. Think about this. If your wife made a list of all the things that she did for you, and you make a list of all the things that you've done for her, and her list is way longer than yours, 
she's more the savior for you than you are for her. That's a good litmus test. We're supposed to lay our lives down for our wives. One guy said, my wife, she's killing me. (laughs) And another guy said, well, you said you wanted to be more like Christ, so there we go. But there's a cost to being a savior to someone. Then it says that he might sanctify her. So we're supposed to be a sanctifier. Now this is basically taking someone or somebody from where they are to where God has or designed them to be. It's this process of change. When you become a Christian, we all enrolled in a spiritual development process. But God brings, in essence, uh, people alongside us to help us grow and progress. In the marriage covenant, It is our job as husbands to invest in our wives in this way so that they can cling, climb, and cluster. And so it's really important that we be investing in them. And then lastly, it says uh, he is to love his wife like he loves his own body. So the man is the savior, he's the sanctifier, and he's the satisfier, okay? And this principle is that everything you do for a woman... um, Typically, whenever you think about you, insert her first. And that's how you'll begin to uh, lead well. Don't think about you first. Think about her first. You get up every day. How can I make my wife happy? Happy wife, come on, finish it. Happy life. And one of the ways that we... um, we, we help our, our wives grow is we understand and appreciate and encourage their values, their uniqueness, their intuitive qualities, their feelings, their emotions, their insights that they have. A lot of times men, when we're solving a problem, we have the logic of it, but the feelings provide a certain uh, aspect of information that might affect approach and ultimately outcomes. When the woman feels valued, when she feels like you think she's essential and critical, then um, uh, you will be able, uh, she'll come under your headship. It'll be more uh, possible for that to happen. But God, listen, will not allow you to operate independent of her. 1 Peter 3, 7 is kind of a paraphrase, but if a man is in conflict with his wife, God in essence says, don't even bother praying to me because I won't hear you. So God doesn't allow us because we to operate independent of each other because we're one. That's the alignment process. It's how the, the tangibility of what it means in 1 Corinthians 11 to come under Christ and the wife to come under the man, that's what alignment looks like. So marriage is not just about being happy. Marriage is about paying a, God paying attention to me, but for God to pay attention to me so I can see those treasures open up to me, I have to become one with my wife by investing in her. Now, finally, he talks to the children. Last but not least, he says in verse 3, your children will be like olive plants around the table. Everybody say, around the table. You know, it takes 15 years for an olive plant to become an olive tree. But once it becomes an olive tree, it produces, listen, olives for 2,000 years because the root system is so deep and so strong. Now, what we have today in our society as a result of the breakdown of the family is we have kids whose roots do not run deep because no one is overseeing them. And so we have in our world, it's like going to the airport and you go through that, uh, that, that check um, that, that, you know, it's called the, like a magnetic magnometer or something like that. You go through and it will beep if you have any metal in your pockets. Well, I have a TSA 
um, clearance. So I, there are certain things I don't have to do. If I go through a regular one, I, I might have this, a belt buckle. Beep, 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 it goes off. If I go through T, TSA and I go through the magnometer, it doesn't go off at all. And I asked them, why? And they said, because they have certain settings that are more sensitive from one side to the next. And there are children in our world today who are going through life and nothing is beeping when they do something wrong. And it's because things haven't been set right in the home. The value system, the belief systems, the, the rights and wrongs, no one has set them at the table of their home. And so a lot of, a lot of the things that we're trying to change, we're trying to change out there and in schools through education and through enrichment programs. But I'm telling you as your pastor, and I'm telling you from the word of God as the man of God, we set those things right around the table. Can I have amen? And so the way we lead our family is around the table. Write this down. To The table is a place for men to take charge and to gain influence. Sit down with them like my daddy used to do and lead your family. Train your family. The Jewish fathers knew that it was more than eating. This was a place where we trained and explained and we passed down things from generation to generation. It's at the table that you talk about last week's service. It's, it's at the table that we talk about God's protection and blessing. It's at the table that we share stories and we, and we reveal God's truths and God's value system. It's at the table that we provide correction, direction, and affirmation. Guys, we need to begin to lead at our table. If you can't be there all the time, make it a priority to be there most of the time because you can't be the head of your house if you're not at the head of your table. Can I have an amen out there? Now, every meal in our house um, ends with a declaration taken from Joshua 24, 15, and it says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know why that's important? Because whoever owns the family owns the future. Satan is not trying to just, um, you know, make you unhappy. No, he's trying to destroy your future. And so uh, I was reminded of, of this years ago, uh, coming back from vacation with my family. And we were on our way to Cracker Barrel to have a meal around the table. And on our way there, we had a near-death experience. A car had a spin-out, and this Mustang GT spun out right in front of our windshield. All of my children were in my car, my family. All of my most prized possessions, my offspring, were in the car. And I thought, we're not going to make it. This car was coming right at us. And I don't know how to explain exactly what happened. It's almost like, it's almost inexplicable. But somehow we were protected. We were able to veer around this car that flew literally right across our windshield. And we were able to get to safety on the side of the road. This car was literally destroyed. The claws of life had to come and get this guy out. He was thankfully okay. But our whole family was shook to the core. And I can remember my wife looking at me and saying, honey, should we just go home? And I said, no, we're going to go and sit down at the table and we're going to talk and pray this thing out. And so we went to the restaurant and the kids were crying and they were super emotional. And we began to unravel and we began to uh, uh, express our emotions and we began to talk about some really important things right around that table. And we gave, I began to pray for the kids and minister to the kids and speak life to the kids. And we actually were able to turn the whole situation around from worry to worship. 
We were so grateful that the protection of God, some of the kids even thought angels had protected us. It was an amazing, amazing change, and it all happened at the table. Now, 2,000 years ago, there was an experience that took place with Jesus and his disciples, get this, around a table. And so in just a few minutes, I'm going to call the campus pastors at both locations to come down front or whoever's leading at the physical locations. I want you to come down because we're going to have communion together. We're going to have a meal and we're going to break bread and celebrate and remember and also look forward to what God does at the table. Can I have an amen? So I'm going to tell you, just come right now and let's get ready to receive communion. So guys, when I was a young boy, my favorite thing to do was actually to have a meal. I used to love to eat. My mom could always count on me to be home for supper. The only thing that competed with that was when I was playing outside with my friends. And I can remember my mother, when I was out in the neighborhood playing, coming out on the front doorstep and yelling, Derek, Derek, it's supper time, it's supper time. And so as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, I want you to get ready like my mom used to get me ready. She would call me to the supper table, but before we, we had supper and we had that meal together, she would say, I want you to go to the bathroom and I want you to wash your hands and I want you to kind of get cleaned up before dinner. Now in the Bible, the scriptures tell us under the instruction of Paul that before we take communion, we should examine ourselves. It's really where you kind of wash your hands. It's symbolic. We got to kind of make sure that we're right with God before we go to the Lord's table. A lot of times at weddings, people are all about getting to their table before they go to the Lord's table. This is a sign of priority when you come to the Lord's table. And some amazing things can happen. It's one of the most personal, maybe one of the most um, intimate things we can do this side of heaven because we're inviting Christ's presence into the experience and through these this sacramental experience where we take the blood symbolizing the grape juice and we take the the bread that symbolizes the body of Christ we believe that something supernatural happens it's not just a memorial now listen I want you to just take a minute and make sure that you've kind of washed yourself so you want to just take a minute and just say God if there's anything to offend you anything that's in the way Anything before I take this that is an obstacle in our relationship, I repent of that. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you right now where you are. Because we're going to take communion and you can get some elements, um, you know, some crackers, some juice. I hope that was already made aware. You were made aware of that. And I want you to take that. But don't take it, the Bible says, unworthily. Now, my, we, would get to the, we would get to the dinner table and we'd all get around it and we would, we would break bread. And Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, in Luke chapter 22, he said, this is my body. So I'm going to get that. This little cracker symbolizes the body of Christ that was uh, broken. Why? Why was it broken? For your healing. And so when you take this body, I want you to take it in remembrance of his body being broken for you. So if you need healing in your body, I want you to receive this for your healing. Eat ye all of it quickly in the name of the Lord. On that same night, Jesus took a cup. In this case, he had wine. This is some old grape juice, so it's pretty close, somebody. He took wine and he said, this is my blood. It symbolizes a new covenant, a new relationship. 
Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So because of what he did, you and I can have and be in right standing with God. He becomes, as 1 Timothy 2.5 says, the mediator between God and man. So now, because of his blood, we can have direct access to God the Father. Because of his shed blood, that was made possible. Because of his blood, our sins have been paid for. Because of his blood, we can have protection over our lives. Like we see in the book of Exodus, we see the, the blood that was put on the doorpost. You can apply this blood to your life as well for protection. So you get forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. There's no remission of sins. You get access to God. You can go boldly before his throne of grace because of his blood, and you get protection. I want you to take this blood by faith in Jesus' name. Drink ye all of it quickly in the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now I'm going to pray. Father, for every person who received communion today, I pray that this was an intimate expression of what happened 2,000 years ago at the table. Lord, may we never lose sight of the values of the, not just information, but the anointing of the Lord's table. Lord, that table can transform individuals, transform marriages, transform families, and transform churches. I pray in Jesus' name that you minister to everyone who received that healing, health, protection, their relationship grow to another level, and God, that you speak to them clearly in Jesus' name. Now, for every person who's far from God, and you've never made a commitment to Him, and you're somehow still on the line here, and you're listening, Jesus wants to be the Lord of your life. If that's you, would you just say yes to God by raising your hand? You can do that right there in the chat, and I'm going to pray with you. I want to commit my life to Christ. If that's your heart's cry right now, I want to lead you in a prayer of salvation. Just say this. Say, Jesus. Today is the day of salvation for me. Of my own free will, I dedicate and commit my life to Him. I want to walk and live in the fear of the Lord, and I want to experience all the treasures He has for me. Today, I believe, by grace through faith, I am saved. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer, the Bible says your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're celebrating, I'm celebrating, and we as a church are celebrating with you as well. If you made that decision, tell somebody right now. Pray with somebody in a chat room. Tell somebody that you just made that decision by raising your hand and hitting that button, and we're going to send you a book. If you would text us to CC Saved at 97,000, I'll send you a book and help you on your spiritual journey. I hope you join us next week online or at one of our physical locations in the future. It has been an honor to speak to you on how to take God seriously. God bless and have a great day.